Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's from Clara and Offaly originally. Been on the police radar even a couple of decades ago. Was a haulier. He ran haulage firms. What really he was doing was he had that specialist role for drug trafficking gangs through Ireland and UK. He was involved in the movement of both cash and of drugs across the UK and Ireland as a freelancer, but also working largely for the Killing Cartel in recent years. I'm Nicola Talent. And you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. King of the Road, Thomas Marr, was handed down 14 years in prison when he pleaded guilty to drug trafficking and money laundering offences after messages on his phone led police and Gardaí to his supply chain, which transported drugs across Europe and cash back into the hands of the dealers. But the County Offaly trucker was dealt a further blow this week when he was ordered to pay more than €720,000 to the UK Exchequer after a proceeds of crime case was heard at Liverpool Crown Court in which a confiscation order was made for his house in Warrington, cars, lorries, jewellery, a number of high-value watches, artwork and even gold ingots bought in Dubai. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald, about the greedy trucker who thought he had it all, but who's been left counting the costs of his life of crime. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So, Thomas Marr and somebody that um, came on our kind of radar without us knowing anything about him when he was one of the first guys that was being brought before the courts on the Ankara chat charges yeah. in the UK. He was arrested, of course, and identified around the time that those poor migrant workers were found in the back of the truck briv- driven by Mo Robinson. He was the registered owner, I think, of that truck, had sold it to a guy called Ronan Hughes in Monaghan and it had ended up being driven by Robinson and... Um, they, those people, those poor people yeah. lost their lives in the back of it. So the Viet- Vietnamese illegal immigrants mm. died in the, in the refrigerated truck. Um, in Essex, wasn't it? In Essex. So, and Thomas Marr's name then appeared in the media. Um, he 
it was he had he had bought the truck and he not he, sure it did. Well, it did. Actually, I don't think he was named at that time, was he? Because no, I, he I was. do recall trying to find out information about him, and he was a nobody to us. We didn't know who he was. We managed to find out that he was originally from Offaly, and that he was living in the north of England with his wife. But were we in a position to name him? Well, he did an interview down with the British media in the days after, where he said, "Look, I knew nothing about it. Right, I'm absolutely disgusted. I just sold the truck. Yes, basically. exactly. And you know, I'm an innocent guy." And then there was people were remarking online, look at the house he's living in, yeah, which was quite spectacular. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden... Things started coming together. What he didn't realise was that um, the phone he was using was one of those EncroChat phones that were hacked. There was a live hack that went on for a couple of months by the French and the Dutch police after they cracked the code into it and they began to listen in to the gangland's phone network of choice. And he was one of the people that believed that it was literally a bulletproof communication system for him. And he sent many messages. Um, I think his handle from memory was satirical. And um, he had sent photographs that were incriminating and that linked him to the phone, including photographs of his feet. Yeah. Which is gross. Who wants photographs of anyone's feet? Look, not me. Um, no, I think right. it, it was it, like he obviously was a, he was he was arrested initially as part of the investigation into the Vietnamese, mm. but he was never charged. And, you know, he certainly wasn't any direct involvement in any of that. But really what you found out was that he'd been involved in in criminality for decades really like he didn't look the doesn't look the part of a gangster does he and not and not the character of a kind of multimillionaire drug trafficker i mean something opposite to that but what you really see was you know he had been on the police radar even when he was he was from Clara and Offaly originally he'd been on the police radar even back in the in you know a couple of decades ago um he was a logistical, a logistics guy. So he was he was a haulier. He ran haulage firms, but you find that that what really he was doing was he had that specialist role for drug trafficking gangs through Ireland and UK. Um, that he was involved in the movement of both cash and of drugs across the UK and Ireland as a freelancer, but also working largely for the Kinahan cartel in recent years. And members of the Hutch organisation had also used him in a clear sign that when it comes to business, you know, yeah, I mean, take sides maybe. He was somebody who ran the haulage firms himself and obviously transport is one of the key um, parts of any organised crime gang. It's it's extremely important. Yeah. You know, if you were taking a role as director of transport, it would be up there with the CEO. They have to get the product from A to B or they have nothing. And he not only did that, but he often used to put... Uh, gangs in touch with truckers willing to transport their wares. And for that simple, you know, fixer role, you know, giving a number over, he always took his cut. He was supposed to be as mean as hell. He'd take about three grand for putting somebody in touch with a a guy who could move an item for them. Yeah, I mean, it was like it's a hugely, if you think about it, and as well, it's the the movement back then. So Mm. you're getting drug shipments delivered to people they have to pay for those drugs really in cash. I mean, I'm sure there are other ways and, you know, bitcoins and all of this that are going to become more and more popular and more and more important as time goes on. But largely it's a cash business. 
So there's, you know, if you talk about something like a half a million million, which is certainly the scale of which he was dealing with, um, that money has to come back. And that's a huge risk for a start. That's one of the big risks for the criminal gangs. Um, and it's one of the most important bits. So he was also heavily involved in in the movement of, say, cash from Ireland back to the UK and back to wherever it was ultimately going to go. He was um, doubling his risk, but he was also doubling his money because he would have got paid for the transport in each direction. So again, that seems to be part of his makeup, that he is extremely sort of tight and mean and always on the make, always trying to, you know, make an extra 10 grand or whatever. And of course, they had a lifestyle to fund himself and his wife, Joanna, um, because as you point out, as soon as he was, he ro- named himself rather than the media naming him as such during yeah. the the, um, the investigation into the Vietnamese people. Um, but people were looking, wow, that's some house. And it was. And he had sort of, he had a, a big house. He had another house, it was believed in Spain. They had very fancy cars out in the driveway. She was registered as a hairdresser and he as uh, a haulage firm boss. And he told everybody within his neighbourhood, anyone who cared to listen, how hard he'd worked for his money and for everything he had. Um, And, you know, the the usual trappings, expensive watches, collections of jewellery, foreign holidays, everything that that other criminals really spend their money on. They were doing the same. Um, but of course, he the phone did him in. And it was actually, his case was actually the only activity in the south of Ireland relating to EncroChat. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the obviously we've spoken about this and you've obviously done extensive uh, podcasts on EncroChat. I have a bee in my bonnet. You have, you do, you do. So... But the Anchor Chat, he was Thomas Marr was done quite quickly, and he was one of the, the I suppose, the first major scalps um, from the Anchor Chat hack by the UK or by intelligence given to the UK authorities. Um, so they revealed he used Anchor Chat freely and without any restraint on it. Spoke about drug dealing. I think they they ultimately he was convicted in connection with the delivery of at least twenty one kilograms of cocaine. From, loca- from the Netherlands and then ultimately transported through the UK and back in Ireland. Um, and the and Irish Gardaí were involved in the seizure of that drugs and money. Yes, and, you know, the, the EncroChat messages included stuff like him telling somebody, I'm at this game for the last 20-odd years, pal, and I'm not an overnighter. I know the way of, the, the way of plays. Mm. And then he had a couple of people back in Ireland here that have been linked to him. Um, that 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 played a similar role for his Irish operation. Two guys in particular, uh, Jason Reed and Thomas Rooney, who've both been dealt with by the courts and are both serving sentences now. Mm. They were regarded as his his guys in they Ireland. They were done for money laundering, were they? They were done for money laundering offences. Yeah. So um, you have some of the messages from from the phone that were some of them anyway that were read out to the court, uh, and of course he pleaded guilty. Um, because he pleaded guilty when his case came before the courts and he was the first conviction for that massive EncroChat investigation in the UK. And he pleaded guilty because he is in poor health and he really didn't fancy prison, going into prison, and he really fancied, you know, minimising his sentence that he was going to have to serve. But um, he, do you have anything about his feet? 
they, they don't mention his feet. They don't. They, no. they seem in these... these There's uh, no message. I just wonder who... would have thought they would have led off the court report. he was sending the picture to, or was it... Would it be Chiropodus? Would that be the... Or, or podiatrist, or... No, no, no. no you actually... Uh, yeah, never no, I'm not... Chiropodus. Sure. Yeah, right, okay. No, they don't focus on the feet, uh, but we will... I'm not so sure of myself now. <laughs> well, we won't uh, fight live on air, but we'll... Have a look into it and see us. We will. We'll have to press. But no, yeah. Look, he he. During the the, the trial, you heard information, for example, about uh, you know about how they were, the effect of the lockdown had on them, mm. which of course, like, it stopped their movement. But trucks were still coming freely in and out of the country. There are probably less of them, obviously. But you know, he, and he wrote he 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 tweeted about or he he texted about it, saying, "Once we get this travel ban lifted, we'll be laughing, mate." I'm telling you. You, that's why I'm not stressing yet. So there was all this constant chat about it, and he spoke about which are the best ports and all of all all of those types of things. I mean, ultimately, um, you know, he 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 was convicted and pled guilty at quite an early an early point, and he was back in court then this week. Well, he got 14 years now yeah. in the UK. What usually happens is because it does operate different to here, um, they'll serve half of that. Yeah. And then half on license. So he's been in jail since 20... Well, 2020, wasn't 2020. it? 2020, was he taken into custody then? He was taken into custody. Now, he may have... I'm not sure if he served some time in remand, but he was convicted at, in, in 2020. OK, so he probably would have served some time in remand. So possibly. He, he possibly has about... Well, maximum he has left is four years in jail and the minimum is three. But what happens in the UK is when somebody is convicted of a criminal offence, they immediately kick into, the ac- into action the proceeds of crime case yeah. against them. Their proceeds of crime... While their legislation is the same, they're not as proactive as they are here, as the Criminal Assets Bureau are here. Sometimes you see the Criminal Assets Bureau go after people who don't actually have convictions. Yeah. But in the UK, by and large, they don't tend to go for them until they've that conviction. Right. And at that point, they're asked to basically give the court the full list of their assets. Yeah. So it's up to them, the onus of, of the onus is on them to give up the full list. And if they're discovered to have been to have left some out, they can get fined uh, again, get fined again or whatever. Yeah. So what usually happens is and probably what's happened in this case is he has detailed some of his assets. I don't think any criminal is going to give every little <laughs> no. bit of, you know, they're going to hide something in the attic or something in a, in a territory abroad. I mean, we don't know exactly did he give up this supposed house he has in Spain or any of the, the money he has there. But he, nonetheless, they had that home in England. There was jewellery um, seized from that home and it was at the time said to be worth hundreds of thousands of euro now probably on purchase, second-hand, obviously, yep. is going to reduce the price of that. Um, collections of his and hers designer watches. But his, this proceeds of crime case has culminated this week in, I think, he's after being fined. Yeah, he's been given, he has to hand over, basically, uh, 630,000 sterling, which is about 724 in euros, 24,000 in euros. Mm. Um, and that includes the house, uh, cars... Jewelry, also gold ingots. So, and they also the the trial had heard how they had this this extravagant lifestyle on on you know spend ninety thousand on holidays over just a three year period. Um, so he has to give that up. Uh, if he doesn't give it up within three within three months, he gets an extra prison sentence. And you know he he 
that's I'd say nearly all the visible assets available. If he doesn't pay that money mm. in the UK again, what happens is if they don't pay up the fine and there is a deadline given and he doesn't have to hand over his house, he can pay up, he can come up with the money and pay yeah. that. That's a settlement essentially yeah. that they've reached, that they've agreed to. But if he doesn't pay it, he they will then add time onto his sentence. Yeah. And you can imagine a guy like him who's in bad health, who really is unhappy within the prison system, doesn't like it, hasn't been in very much over his life and is in poor health, he is going to want to get out. So you'd imagine that that bill will be paid. And, you know, that'll be a, a second blow, really, to him and to the family. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know, in a way he could probably walk away now um, and pay that up and walk away. But, I mean, the scale of his operation is, you know, was quite staggering, really, when you think about it. I mean, it just shows you how organised crime really works in that you'll have, you know, Daniel Kinnan or these people at the top of the the ladder with a public profile, with a profile on, on the streets, um, who people, you know, people know and people maybe have a, 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 a fear within the community. But there's all these other sort of guys who are really motivated by money, I think, mm. rather than being a big shot or driving around in fancy cars and, you know, having people fear them in the local community. There's all these other guys like Thomas Marr who really make it work. And, you know, a large part of, of drug trafficking is driven by logistics. Like it's kind of uh, like that is the, the skill the skilled bit of it really isn't it getting it's been stuff described around. to me on numerous occasions as the transport routes and the ability to transport is probably the most important part next to the actual production yeah. of the cocaine you know what I mean by those barons in, in wherever you're you're buying from Colombia Peru or whatever yeah control that the next most important role is the transport exactly route. and the guys on the streets going around on on you know which 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 you know, in the streets of Dublin with Rolexes and and the works. I mean, they they really are the small fry. Mm. Like if you think about what what Mar was, so during the seven, I think it was over a seven month period, the N- the national, uh, the NCA in England investigated him. So it's really a snapshot mm. of his criminal career. You know, relating to these encro trap messages. Like this is not the bulk of his stuff but even within that time they watched a meeting it said at the time they watched a meeting with criminal associates at hotels and in public spaces in the UK to arrange trafficking of cocaine from Holland Um, he also facilitated large movements of cash across the continent he arranged 300,000 to be transported from Ireland to Holland on behalf of one of his associates who he charged a commission for his involvement and Ultimately, as part of that investigation, Guardian Drogheda seized 600,000 in transit and arrested three people who were all convicted, and that includes Thomas Rooney, mm. who was kind of his, his right-hand man in this country. So that so, was a kind of a live sting operation yeah. between the NCA and the Irish Garda Síochána. And unfortunately, you know, the Guardian could have done a huge amount more with the Anchor Chat um, information, yeah. but they weren't handed it on down the ranks down to the local officers yeah. in the areas, you know, affected by the criminality or the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau. I mean, you can see how efficiently they, you know, they worked with their NCA colleagues on that. Yeah. And, you know, there was no screw up there at all. They just moved in on them at the right time. So, yeah, there was a lot of lost opportunities, I think, 
during that time in Encro Chat, we still see hundreds of people coming before the courts in the UK. And of course, as we mentioned briefly in a previous episode, um, there was a challenge made to the Encro Chat information being used in courts and that has failed. Yeah. Um, so and also you see people like Thomas Rooney not taking the chance on challenging Thomas Marr. Encro- or sorry, Thomas Marr not taking a chance but on challenging it, but pleading guilty, mm. which is a thing that you can't really take back. No, say, of course not. Like, you know, he, he's taken a, a decision to serve, look, seven, seven, seven years or so in pre- behind bars. The evidence is presented to him and he's just, he's gone for it. And that, that's the other thing that, you know, whether EncroChat, ultimately somebody manages to overturn it or not, those convictions where people have pled guilty are going to remain no matter what, you know. They are. And also, you see, what, what you'll see going through the courts and you're seeing the stuff coming in on the news desk yeah. all the time. A lot of them were caught red-handed. Yeah. And that's another thing that you can't really go, oh, well, you shouldn't have been listening, you know, in the first place. I mean, you're actually caught with your hands on the product. Yeah. So a lot of them either who've pleaded guilty or who've kind of gone for it and pleaded not guilty, the evidence against them is overwhelming. And it's not just the, you know, that no, you communications see the, evidence. It's, it's more than that. Exactly. And you see the working through of these the, the complications of... You know, saying the the you know what which they say is that the 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 original source is poisoned or however they describe in these appeals. But you see that with with some of the appeals that are going through the Supreme Court in Ireland, where even if the original source is a, is poisoned or, and that's accepted by the court, and an example would be you know the the surveillance tapes of Jerry Hutch, where they can say, well, this is obtained illegally, but we're still going to hear it. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't necessarily lead to these automatic. Uh, uh, people getting off, you know. So Thomas Marr, um, you know, has obviously decided, I'd say, not to to accept this judgment, um, to not to go appeal it again and again. And uh, you know, it's it's. He He's someone be- who doesn't take a huge amount of responsibility for his own actions, even though, of course, he did plead guilty. Yeah, but that was to reduce the sentence. He was involved in something behind bars that he he. Um, he sort of went for or tried to have Ronan Hughes attacked. Yeah, so Ronan Hughes is the guy convicted uh, in relation to the deaths of the 39 migrant workers from, from Vietnam. Um, you know, so while he was in prison, Thomas Marr was issuing threats to him through associates. Um, I suppose it shows you, while Marr was a, primarily a, a, a transport man, he still had the connections and the uh, the depth of involvement in organised crime that he was still willing to, at least at this point, threaten violence. It didn't ultimately end up in any conviction, but it, I suppose it just shows you you are dealing with dangerous people. Yeah, and what was his uh, point in that? Well, I, I mean... He'd just fallen out. He wanted to have him stabbed or beaten up in prison. Mara, of course, by the way, his nickname was King of the Road. Um and that was given to him by the criminal gangs, yeah. to call him that. But he wanted him beaten up in jail as he, he waited extradition proceedings to the UK for the manslaughter of 39 immigrant workers. Yeah, well, I mean, as I said, Thomas Marr was never charged in connection with this, but there certainly was a lot of paranoia at, at that point going on about, uh, you know, Ronan Hughes and what he was, him and Mo Robinson, what they were going to say or what they were not going to say. Um, so we don't know exactly why... Um, 
he was afraid, obviously, he was going to be linked to that, if we believe it to be the case. Yes. The suspicions, but he obviously didn't want to face further yeah. criminal charges in relation to anything because he was so anxious to get out of prison himself. Exactly, but it does show you, like, you know, this is mm. this is what you're dealing with. And, of course, all of these people, if they are, as he said himself, been, at, been in this game 20 years, the threat of violence has to come with that as well, you know, the ability. Do you know what I find interesting? I mean, you, you know, you, you make the distinction between the likes of Daniel Kinahan. He's up there at the very top of the tree and the likes of, you know, Thomas Marr um, and others on the streets. Yeah. They lived the same life in that they, you know, relatively speaking. OK, so they've different amounts of money to yeah. spend. But yeah. you look at him and this successful business he'd built up. And he was greedy for the money. There was so much money to be made. I mean, imagine being able to give somebody a phone number and get 3,000 each time yeah. uh, to get a bit of work. So, like, he was making a phenomenal amount of money. He had, they had a phenomenal lifestyle. Yeah. Um, but it was all over like that. Yeah. Like, he's another four, three, four years to serve. We can only imagine when he gets back out of prison, he's not going to be able to set up his haulage firm again mm. or involve himself in the transporting of drugs again. No. Certainly, if he does, he will have a bit greater eye on him of yeah. the law because he has this conviction. He's known, obviously, and he'll be watched closely. Um, what he has accumulated, certainly a good proportion of it, yeah. is going to have to be handed over to the authorities. Yeah. So where does that leave him after 20 years? Well, I mean, at least he's got a, a skill, I suppose, in that, you know, he probably can. Who's going to hire him to drive, tra transport anything? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You know, um, and I mean, his license and, and his, especially coming from the UK into Ireland now, obviously you have to go through border controls and passports and all the rest of it. I just don't see legitimate companies hiring a guy like him. I don't see him being able to set up his business as he had it, he's obviously going to have plenty of connections within that world because he was so long in it. Yeah. But he's starting again yeah. and he doesn't look like a guy that, you know, is particularly fit to start again, to start afresh. I mean, imagine you or I after as long as we've worked yeah. and the little we have accumulated yeah. in life. But nonetheless, it's what we have. Yeah. And that being taken overnight, yeah. everything. Uh, no, and and thrown into jail for seven years, coming back out older and... Yeah, I mean... It's a big loss, like... It's a big loss. I mean, obviously, there there's some people who get, uh, you know, who maybe have suffered from addiction and ended up in, in involved in organised crime. And they may have a different type of life than if they, if they, you know, go into recovery and they may have a different kind of way to spend their energy and their mm. drive. Because, of course, some of these guys who end up at the top of the organised crime structure, like, they have that risk-taking... And they are driven. And so somebody like Thomas Marr, if he comes out, is he going to get a job in a cafe or, you know, sweeping the streets or whatever? I think that's that's really how why these guys struggle mm. then to go to go straight, because they're going to have to really lower their expectations of how they will live, what but sort of they, job they, they will do. They can't even consider, you know, an average, a normal salary. No. With, with that kind of money that they were making. I mean, yeah. it's it's a lot easier to go up the ladder than to come back down. It, it is. When it, it is. comes to getting paid an amount. I mean, I'm sure you know as well, like, you know, you talk to people who've been in that world, many of them who still are in it, and, like, what we would work yeah. 
work hard to get and yeah. to, to aspire to, they can buy in the blink of an eye. Yeah. Their, their attitudes to money, to, to work, to hard work, as they call it, yeah. are so different to the normal world that you wonder, is there any way they can fit in? Yeah, because it's kind of a personality type thing, mm. you know, where it's not just the money. Like they also like the status, you know, the, you know, and also the maybe even the risk taking and the buzz of of being involved in crime, you know, which is a big part of it. Like it's not just the money. Well, I think it's 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 a drug. Yeah. So that idea of beating the system of yeah. I'm sure the rush that even you get on, even yeah. as a truck driver at that end of the market, I'm not even talking about King of the Road, Thomas Marr, who organises the stuff. I'm talking about actually driving it and that you're being told you're going to get 5,000 for bringing yeah. something in and you get it through customs and you drive on and you get out of your car and you get handed the money. There has to be a buzz in that. Exactly. And why does somebody want that type of buzz? Some people don't want it. Like yeah. Want to, yeah, it would terrify them. Yeah, so without, but so it does leave a hole in the soul, does it? And how are you going to fill that mm. when you come out? Mm-hmm. I mean, are you going to get that from, you know, doing your gardening or, or you know, going for long walks in the evening. I don't know. And that's why people struggle to walk away from from organised crime. I don't think it's just the money. I think it's the whole combination of things. Um, some people do, of course, build a second life. And some people really do change, change, like, you know. Yeah. They changed being in prison or maybe, you know, as I said, coming out of addiction. They can really change their personality, but other people really, really struggle and they tend to uh, go back one more time Mm. to try it again. They do, or else just go back because they need X amount for the retirement or they just need to make this amount. This this idea of somebody there this week that um, was caught and they had absolutely sworn that it was their last job. Yeah. The last job they were going to do and then they were set up and bang. Yeah. Gone. Yeah. You know, so it's hard to walk away and you can understand maybe why it is. But I think in order to really change, like people have to change. And of course, prison does reform some people, you know, just not all. No. And the other thing is that um, while he there was no he has no convictions in relation to trafficking of people mm. and those Vietnamese people, he was arrested in connection with it. There was connections between him and and Ronan Hughes. Well, he has no convictions for that. I think it also shows that everything is a commodity in the underworld. Yeah. Humans, drugs, money. Yeah. You know, alcohol, whatever it is you're moving. That a lot of the guys that are working in those sort of mid-range jobs, the logistics managers Mm. and all the rest of it, they have to be, have the ability to just see human beings as a commodity too. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he did. I don't know how you'd get to that place. Well, I think it's yeah. I think I think it, some of it is that kind of anti-establishment feeling where you know you're trying to beat the system all the time, and and you be, you come to believe that the system is more morally wrong than you are, and you see a lot of that actually. But even with Chris, when we saw Christy Killen's LinkedIn posts, I mean, hundreds of them. Oh yeah, and it really was you know, a sort of a sort of an insight into his mind, which really was that the state, the government, whatever way you want to look at it, they were the real bad guys. And, any and way the that media. You, Don't and forget the, the media, because the media are lying to everyone, aren't yeah, they? The media, in this organised way. Yeah, the media are a wing of the government. Yeah. And any, you know, any way that you can beat them is kind of a moral action, mm. I think. 
As an aside there, in January, um, Ronan Hughes from Armagh, the guy who was uh, sentenced to 20 years in 2021, I think. Yeah. Um, he's also been told that he'll serve another two years on top of that sentence if he doesn't pay up a, a figure of money to the families of the 39 people yeah. found dead in the container uh, after the attempt to smuggle them to the UK. Uh, 180,000 he has to pay to the yeah. families. Now, how they came up with that sum is um, unclear. It yeah, was I mean, certainly, they, they looked at his assets, they looked to see what he could afford, I suppose. I mean, there's no point in, like, the American way, pay, you know, 100 million to each yeah. of these 39 yeah. people. They, you know, there's money that they, they're, they're yeah. sort they of... seem to pick, pick it out of nowhere. Pick it out of nowhere. Yeah. So, in this case, I suppose, and maybe in the likes of Vietnam, an amount of money would go further than it would. Yeah. I think we know it would, you know, so maybe that's... But, yeah, he has been told to to set, to, to to get that money to them or his his jail time will be increased, which is interesting, isn't it? Because it is actually a culmination there of a proceeds of crime case in a way because his assets had to be yeah. investigated. Yeah. Plus the kind of handing it directly to the victims. Yeah, it is. I mean, it was, look, it was a, a horrific case if you look mm. back on it, you know. As opposed to going into the state, like. Yeah, it know. is. It is. Um, it just shows you the different system. Did, but it, There'd be a lot of people who would sort of say about the Criminal Assets Bureau that, you know, over the years, I mean, I don't know how it could be done, but that certainly some things that are seized from within a particular community, could the money not go back into the community and perhaps into the, mm. you know, into, into voluntary groupings within the community and everything? Be great if that could happen yeah. in many cases. I mean, I mean, you look at Liam Byrne's house in Crumlin that yeah. all that drug money went into and what are they going to get for it? They're not going to get what he spent on it, but... I mean, it hasn't been sold, of course, no. despite the fact that there's a housing crisis, maybe for yeah. for an obvious reason. Um, I think the, the, the Criminal Assets Bureau are doing a lot of local operations that you've written about where they're targeting people within sort of individual counties or individual communities that aren't like Daniel Kinahan level. They're kind of smaller uh, f- fish. And I think it would be a really good thing if those if that money sees could go back into the community. We've had cab operations in, in places like in the Midlands or in County Clare. And I think that would really... Uh, you know, be a positive thing. You know, look, change is always good, and maybe that kind of idea that that some of the some of the money at least could go back directly, more directly to the victims rather than just straight into the exchequer, into the slush fund that it does go into, would be something that we could, everybody could uh, have a look Get at in years to come. Yeah. 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 It's certainly. I always think it's. A, it sounds like a really good idea, and would really make. I think it would be the the cherry on the pie of of the criminal assets bureau if they could. Some way, yeah. give it straight back into the could, yeah, yeah. Um, a bit like yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's one of my stories for later. It's a little story. I'd, I'd say that one I was described as the cherry <laughs> on top of the pie of the live crime world show, which is by a yeah by yeah. an admirer. Yeah, we say yeah. Right. Why not? Well, listen. Is um, it not true? I'm sure it is true. Sure, yeah. you, of course you are. Yeah. Um, the rest of the stories I shall keep for our, a more private setting of the uh, <laughs> the office and those who are anxiously awaiting me to me to start. But yeah, Thomas Marr, eh? Thomas Marr. Mm, not a happy bunny, I'd say. No, no. Uh, like a kind of a wasted life, ultimately, you know, to, mm. to amass all of that stuff and see it ripped off you, you know? Yeah, but he was a greedy. 
greedy, you know, but a, a kind of a wasted life and obviously a person of not inconsiderable talent and ability, you know. And ability I mean, in what? Well, you know. Fixing. It, yeah. You know, I mean, somebody like, could he not have ran a successful transit company mm. and maybe been a bit less wealthy? Because he obviously could run yeah, a he could, yeah. business and it is a waste. Uh, Provide employment and. Yeah. Mm. You know, maybe had spent 10,000 on holidays instead of 90,000, you know, mm. and he could have, you know, looked forward to a nice retirement and a happy family life, you know, and that's all been taken from him due to his own greed. Okay, on that philosophical note, Niall. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip and commentary.